Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Kamiko McCoy, senior marketing reporter here at Digiday. All right, so Kamiko, you had the conversation today, and your guest was Channing Martin, who is IPG's Global Chief Diversity and Social Impact Officer. And I'm curious, why did you want to have her on the podcast? Yeah, absolutely. So I think something that's important for publishers uh, like Digiday to do is to always keep a pulse on how DEI is moving, um, especially after the commitments and promises that were made back in 2020. Um, so this is kind of an expansion on that. Um, and I had a conversation with Channing not too long ago where she really, really kind of um, opened the floodgates for some some information just regarding how we should we go about measuring success in this space, what's taking so long to achieve our goals, and kind of what the next steps look like. So I wanted to bring her on the podcast and have her explain that to, to our listeners as well. Yeah. And it's something that I think you're right, like we've been kind of covering, um, you know, periodically over the past three years now, um, even a little bit before that. But Sarah Guaglioni on our team, um, who covers publishing and media uh, with me. She's been doing some recent reporting around um, like publishers, diversity, you know, breakdowns and the commitments that were made in terms of like adding, um, like diversifying staff and adding like more resources, um, you know, for like, you know, multicultural resources and the challenges around that. And so I'm curious, did she talk about like, you mentioned like some of the um, time frame issues of getting some of these things accomplished um, internally, but what were some of the like maybe top themes that she shared about, um, you know, the challenges for getting some of these goals done in a not timely manner, but in a way that is, you know, very efficient and like. Yeah, sooner sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the thing that she brought up that was the most um, telling to me is the idea that our industry, and, and not just our industry, but all industries, but for the sake of this conversation, marketing and advertising, in 2020 became tasked with focusing on a lot. The floodgates of DEI opened. It was no longer just this idea of counting how many people of color that you had, you know, butts and seats type deal. Now you had to account for working moms. Now you had to account for um, gender identity. Now you had to account for people working with um, elderly or children outside of work, um, COVID, mental health. And all of these things are coming at you at once. And we don't have a set standard of measuring success. There's no set standard of how to go about it. There's no protocols. And they're trying to figure this all out now. Got it. Okay. So I am very excited to hear the rest of this conversation and kind of unpack that further. So I'll let you guys get into it. Thanks so much. Thank you. But hi, Channing. Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to see you. It's good to see you too. I am so excited to be reconnected with you and chatting. But before we get into the juicy scoop, please introduce yourself to our podcast listeners. Sure. Hello, everybody. My name is Channing Martin. I am the Chief Diversity and Social Impact Officer at IPG, and I'm excited to be here. Like, what else about myself? I'm a new New Yorker. Um, I, that's the first time I've actually called myself a New Yorker, if you believe it or not. Oh, I'm wow. From D.C. I know. That's a big step. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Absolutely. What part of New York are you in? I'm in Upper West. Oh, I thought Lower you were going to Brooklyn. I know. When I tell people that, they, I, they often get this look of disappointment. Like, oh, I thought you lived in Brooklyn. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. 
I love Brooklyn though. <laughs> I lived there for all of like one and a, two years, one and a half, two years. Um, and I will claim it more faster than I'll claim my birthplace. So I get it. Ah, oh my goodness. I know. It's a pretty magical place. It is indeed. It is indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, regardless of where you're talking to us from this morning, excited to be able to chat with you. Um, as you know, we are three years uh, removed from everything that happened in 2020. And I would imagine that changed a lot for how chief DE&I executives do their job and what the path looks like forward. So hoping to take some time today to dive into what that looks like for you and your agency, your holding company, and what the kind of path forward looks like. So with no further ado, let's get into it. Okay, let's. Perfect. Walk me through the current DE&I landscape from your point of view. What does it look like from where you sit? Sure, that's a great question. You know, so I think we've talked about this that I joined IPG just over a year ago. And for full disclosure, I'm coming from a really different uh, background and space, not marketing and advertising. The first half of my career was in the federal government, and then I went into finance and tech. So I came in really green, right, at this with into this industry. And what I'm seeing, you know, from from IPG's perspective, this is a, an organization that you know, had the first head of DEI at a holding company in the space. You know, that was over 10 years ago. And that really excited me about this work and this role because I really didn't want to step into a place where there was a newfound commitment to equity. And, if it, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I, but I wanted to step into a space that said, look, we've been invested in this a long time before there was an acronym for it. And now we're looking to advance and, and grow and go in a different direction. So what I've seen from us is, you know, we aren't going to rest on just being the first at something. It's like, now what are we going to do with that? And really looking for ways to integrate equity into all of our talent practices, but also into our operations, the work that we do with our clients, and also in our communities. What I've seen is that this work around DEI has really grown and evolved and is, has 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 moved away from uh, what do we do to not get sued, has moved away from just an EEO conversation to um, from a conversation around diversity, which has evolved to a conversation around inclusion, and now really a bigger focus on equity. And I've seen that in a lot of spaces. Um, and, I, and I do think that as a whole, the industry is not as far along as we want to be, um, especially compared to some others. But there are so many people committed, I think, not just at IPG, but across the industry that that want to want to change not only the landscape of the people that are attracted to and invited into our industry to make an impact, but in the work that we produce that really reflects the world in an authentic and realistic way. Yeah. You bring up a really good point about the idea of we've shifted from we don't want to get sued into this new space that we're in now. Um, so kind of I guess sometimes the the plot gets lost. So talk to me about why diversity, equity, and inclusion matters in this space. Why is it something that we absolutely have to be dedicated to? We often hear, I think not just at the agencies I represent, but in most companies, especially today, that people are our greatest asset. And we say it a lot. And I don't know if every organization really knows what that means, but if it's really true for you and if people are your greatest asset then you have a responsibility to those people, but also your organization, your stakeholders, your shareholders to produce the best results, right? 
And that means you can't do that without all the people at the table that you need. And if you're really committed to the best talent, that is not a homogeneous view and perspective of talent uh, and homogeneous in all senses of the word, that you're coming from the same industry, from the same line of education, from the same gender, from the same race, from the same ethnicity. We've seen what happens when when you do that and you don't take an intentional view and perspective at designing a, an organization that puts talent first and all talent first. Um, so I do think that DEI is still critical to think an effective and healthy workforce. If we're really just isolating it around talent, you want the best talent to produce the best results. And the best talent comes from everywhere, has different backgrounds, different perspectives, different belief systems. Now, in isolation, diversity for diversity's sake doesn't really work and doesn't really, in effect, mean much. We're just talking about difference, right? So the other parts of the landscape, I think, oftentimes are forgotten are what you do with the talent once they're there. And that is that there has been this focus on inclusion that all people should feel included and welcome and the dangers of exclusion. And, and it is quite dangerous in a workplace or any relationship or place, honestly, uh, to exclude people, especially intentionally. But if you aren't building structures that are equitable, it doesn't matter how many town halls you have or business resource groups, people are not going to feel included. And I think that's a step that we're talking about now in a way that we weren't necessarily before. The conversation around equity has elevated to a place um, where it, we're having it at the boardroom table, right? We, we, aren't, we were talking about diversity in the boardroom, but we're talking about equity now um, in a way that we hadn't before. There's a lot of fear that has come back. So we can go back to the what not to get sued, how not to get sued conversation. Um, but it's critical. And in our industry in particular, we are in the business of influencing human behavior. So if we're going to influence human behavior, then we have to have people that are creating and building and developing and producing and changing brands reflect human behavior and reflect humans across the globe, um, not only in creating that work, but also showing up in the work that we create. Yeah. I think it's fair to say this work has been in the works for a long time. Um, but, you know, in 2020, with the murder of George Floyd, COVID, mm -hmm. mental health coming back into focus and things like that, um, it came to a fever pitch once again. So, Curious, you know, not just at IPG, but within you guys' agencies and across the landscape, what mm -hmm. are the lasting changes that you've seen um, since then? That's a great question because I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of things. I've seen a lot of trial and error, things that haven't necessarily worked, which I think is is part of the lasting change. What I have seen is that there's this influx of people who have identified these challenges and realized that this isn't just a social problem, it's a business problem, and we have to do something about it. And so the idea and the notion that business leaders are taking responsibility and ownership and it's not consistent in every space. But what I've seen here is that people are taking ownership of this as a business imperative. And that that is how you make this work more sustainable. This isn't just the right thing to do. I, I don't usually say that. We're, we're, I, I never really hear anybody talk about, you know, our, a quarterly business review as the right thing to do. It's just how we do business. Um, and that's how this work has to be viewed, I think, and respected and integrated. So the notion that people are responsible for culture outside of your culture leader, your talent leader, your DEI leader, I think does contribute to lasting change. Something else that I've seen um, 
that I think is is pretty powerful is giving employees a sense of agency and voice in a way that we hadn't done previously. I think the killing of George Floyd, in addition to the pandemic, really changed the landscape for um, employee advocacy and agency that I don't know how we ever go back from that. So I do hope that that is, is lasting change and transparency into metrics. And that's not just the standard, um, I would say, demographic data, but really um, really prof- professionalizing, if that's a word, data analytics around people in a qualitative and quantitative way, putting metrics to belonging or to other sentiments and linking that to productivity, linking it to business outcomes, growth, et cetera, um, I think is a game changer in the field of DEI. Yeah, that actually um, takes me to the next question that I wanted to ask you. I think there's this new school way of thinking and a vanguard way of thinking when it comes to what success or how success is measured when it comes to you know, progressive goals and things like that. So talk to me a little Mm -hmm. bit about the difference between those two things and how you guys Mm. go about measuring success in that space. That's a great question. And it's, you know, there, I've, I've heard a lot of conversation around, you know, it's time for the, the newer, in some spaces, younger DEI leaders to take the baton and the mantle. Um, But there's no way without those folks that often had to operate with little to no resources as one person experiencing their own microaggressions and challenges, especially in corporate spaces, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing without those folks that paved the way. Years before, there was this global explosion and conversation around inclusion and equity. And um, I, I think the sweet spot really is a mixture of those experiences and skills, right? Some of the lessons that we've learned um, from the challenges, pitfalls of being the sole person, usually a person of color, typically a black person that has been, you know, pigeonholed in an organization that's really was fighting for a more inclusive workspace. Um, and those wins are so incremental for, for what we're doing today, often in a much uh, bolder, um, louder way and louder voice, um, because that person allowed us to have the volume that we have now. Um, so I think that what I've seen that's been changing and that is newer is you look at the rise in positions like mine in DEI officers, the level of leadership that those roles have been placed and moved into. And, and some of these folks that are in these roles, again, they were two levels down, pigeonholed in an HR organization, for example, um, that wouldn't be given the same agency and power that they have now. Um, and so I think I think that's really it's really incredible when you see some of the investment into some of these positions. Um, unfortunately, there are some spaces where people have been put into roles and not set up for success. People are not resourced to have teams behind them to support them, or they are used as scapegoats for companies when something goes awry. And that's a very dangerous position to be in. Um, and, organizations that are, I think, that are taking that stance are not being authentic, right, about this commitment. Um, on, on the other hand, I think you do see a new sense of, wow, we're, we have much more room, again, to build this work into the fabric of the organization at every, at every level, the way that we think about how we audit, the way we think about hiring, the way we think about promotion, also the way that we design our comp and benefit structure. Um, 
Every layer of the organization has to have DEI embedded in it in order to make the work sustainable. And I think that's been the focus as of late is we don't want this to be a movement and a conversation that goes away. How do we, how do we create lasting change um, and amplify others to, to speak on our behalf as well instead of just being the sole person? We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. You mentioned about the the old vanguard kind of setting the the pathways. I think was interesting about that. Even I don't know if you've seen the "We Are Not Our Ancestors" shirt. They stress me out. We are not our ancestors. We are not our ancestors, implying that I'll fight you, which completely oh. disregards. Okay, I've seen that. We are ancestors' wildest dream. We are ancestors' dreams. I've never seen. Too. I haven't seen that. I we I haven't seen the "We Are Not Our Ancestors." Yes. So it's basically like. Don't don't come for me because I will come for you. In exactly. Okay. Exactly. But <clears throat> to your point, it disregards the pathways that were set forward um, and and things like that. So I think it is important to recognize the old vanguard and kind of the the standards and the work that they did to get us to where they where where we're at right now. Absolutely. Um, but I think not for nothing. I could see how it's frustrating to have this argument, this debate, this discussion. Back to back to back to back. I read a book by Mark Robinson, one of the OGs in in marketing, and um, he said this dates back to the 1960s, civil rights movement, things like that, where you're having these same conversations. So kind of how do you talk to people about, you know, with, with that pushback? We've been doing this for a while. So yes, I agree, right? The notion of people are tired. And I would say, you know, if we, this, the old, a lot of folks in the old guard, if that's how they identify themselves, they would probably say they're tired too. And part of it is like, we're passing the baton because now it's your turn. We've, we've done everything we can to set you up for success. My response to, we're still having the same conversation is part of it is, I think in 2020, a lot of people thought, oh my gosh, well, one is like, I, I didn't know that it would, I, I just didn't know that it was this bad. I knew, I don't, I don't know how we didn't know. I think a lot of people knew, but there have, there are centuries of systemic racism, exclusion, prejudice that is built into every system that we live and operate in, in this country. And so one of the things I, and I, I had this on my list of things to talk about today is I think part of the problem is that we're focused on trying to solve for everything. 2020 happened. And I think out of goodwill, a lot of people wanted to do something about it. And they, and, and we identified a, a zillion issues, you know, whether it related to, to work and the, again, the way we hire, the way we write job descriptions, the way we interview who interviews, the questions we ask, how transparent are we? Do we, are, do we, how do we pay? Who do we pay? Who do we fire? I mean, and that's just in one component of a, of a, of an employee life cycle. And that's 10 things right there, not to account for houselessness, the education system, uh, the taxes, all of these things. So everybody is trying to solve for everything. And it's really hard to make an impact if you're solving for everything. We don't solve business challenges that way. We identify the top two, three that we can address first to then get to the next three and then the next three. And so sometimes I just respond and say, listen, we're frustrated because we're talking about the same thing because we're trying to solve for everything. 
So let's narrow the focus and identify what is really going to move the needle, what's best in your organization and what's best for your people. And I and I think sometimes people don't like it when I say that because we do want to solve for everything, but we won't be able to. We're not going to move the needle fast enough if we if we don't start narrowing our efforts on the very few things we can't we think that can make the biggest difference. Yeah, it's like the floodgates open and the needles have been moved. There's too many needles to account for. <laughs> too many. Too many. Not to add another needle, but <laughs> uh oh, here I come What's with another this needle. Next one, thanks. Is it in a haystack? <laughs> okay, let's see. <laughs> I think ever since ChatGPT came onto the scene, AI has been a topic you can't get away from it. So I'm curious. Um, with obviously, there's been some back and forth with when it comes to AI and DE and I and diversity and how mm-hmm. people of color are affected by those things. So curious, does that mean anything for how you do your job in terms of that? Yeah, this is the conversation that you can't get away from, right? Um, and I really respect the approach IPG is taking. Is it's one of I think an ethical um, and responsible based approach to AI, which means part of that means. We have to be open to learning. There's a lot that people just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And so, um, you know, we have a leader here that's put together a really interesting and talented and diverse group of other people who are working on this because the clients, this is the world that we live in. This is what they want. Even if you aren't clear on what it is you want, you know you want to be doing something in the space. Um, but we... I have been working really hard and identifying, you know, what are our standards? What are our boundaries? What is our perspective? And how do we go about using relevant um, data that is reflective of real humans, um, that is unbiased as it can be? I don't think anything is truly unbiased. Um, and how do we include people like Channing or my peer, um, uh, Gemma, who's our chief sustainability officer, who can talent officers into the business conversations to make sure that we are working with our clients in a way that align with our values. We don't have, we're not in the space anymore. I don't think any company is to do things that don't align with your values. That did happen in 2020, where the conversation around purpose and values alignment, there's no room not to be aligned. You just, you won't sustain. So I really do appreciate that, I think, thoughtful and sophisticated approach. And some may say, <clears throat> that that approach may take too long, but I think that's the better way to do it. Um, and I will say what does my caution in the AI conversation is that I don't want this to replace people. And I, th- I think that systems, efficiency, technology, at the end of the day, we've seen it does replace people, right? We, we build these systems that um, allow us to move far faster and, and perhaps smarter, But when we think about creativity and the work that we do, um, we've done so much work to have more diversity behind the camera and and on the screen. Are we really going to remove the people that are on the screen and create people? And who are creating these people? There's there's still systemic issues and barriers to the people that are in the room, even designing these systems or producing the work. So now then we have another challenge on our hands then is to how do we get the skill sets to people that haven't had the opportunity to learn, to be in the room, to co-create with you or to build with you. So I I do think about it quite often from a, a talent gap to uh, how do we empower our teams to make sure that they can have culturally fluent conversations with clients 
who want to embed this into their work. So it is, I think it is a big opportunity that we have to leverage. And I've seen some of the work that we're doing in this space and it's really em- em- empowering and powerful, um, especially some use cases around um, bots that are having conversations in multiple languages that are um, in multiple accents and skin tones and body shapes and sizes. Things, what, things that I'm seeing that we have taken so long to do as an industry to even be able to show people in ads of different body types and sizes, right? So when you think about the good that can be done, I think it's a really powerful tool, like anything that could be used to promote positive social norms or could be used to reinforce negative ones. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. If I'm not mistaken, a while ago, and I don't know if there's still a um, a non-person of color behind it, but they're along the lines of Lil Michaela and like the ARVR AI virtual influencers realm. There was one, a gorgeous dark-skinned Black woman um, that was getting, if I'm like, getting a lot of attention, things like that. And the whole time, the account was run by a non-person of color, uh-huh. which brought into like what you're saying is like the equity and things like that. Like who gets to be in the room when these technologies happen? How do we ensure that there's equitability, diversity, and inclusion in those spaces? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and honestly, you know, I have, I, I have had conversations with people on both sides of that, on both sides of that, that would say, I think it's really amazing that, you know, someone could perhaps be behind that and represent multiple people. Like that could be a positive story. And you have some that again, feel like you've stolen my identity. You've used my voice and my body and my mind in a way that you're not allowed to. And I can really understand that. I think if that was me and when I see that image, I do see me. I want someone that looks like me behind that. And 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 if that means me alone, I can't do it because I'm missing some skill set or some something, then I'll partner with you to do it. But don't leave me out of it. Don't exclude me from the table just because, you know, the numbers are good in the in the company. There's the percentages are now reflective, but you're excluding me again from the power and influence that really matter to the business. And that's again something. I think at IPG that we're really trying to focus on is like, great, having the percentages is that conversation is so old. <laughs> it is not about a percentages of, of representation in, in the workforce. Are people in positions of power and influence, which looks different at every level and, and every role at the table? And that's that's where we need to shift focus, I think, in the diver- the D part of the conversation is where are the people that you have in the organization? And how are you paying them? <laughs> I'll add that part too. Very good question. <laughs> that part. Very good question. Uh, questions that need answers. The last thing that I wanted to ask is kind of about the path forward. Uh, you know, it's a murky one. It's a convoluted one. It's one that doesn't have a clear one way, come this way signal, which is, you know, what people like you are tasked with figuring out. But what does the path forward look like and who is the onus on to continue carrying said path forward? That is a big question. Um, I see where you left it for last. Yep, got real um, philosophical with you. Yeah, you did. This is uh, <laughs> <laughs> this this work. I would say hmm, for the past, I don't know, two decades. There's kind of been this faithful twenty percent. We calculate about twenty percent of the organization are the same people that show up to the training, to the employee resource group event. Um, who are supportive, who are doing the work, not only at work, but also at home, to develop themselves into 
um, more consciously aware, active, accepting people, the, the folks that, that are changing behaviors. And that includes a lot of different people of all different backgrounds. So my answer to your question is that it's the other 80%. It is their work. We've, I've done my work and I'm going to keep doing my work. It's the people that don't show up and think it's not their responsibility. It's their turn <laughs> to step up. And that doesn't mean that, you know, it's a drop the mic moment and you just figure it out on your own. I'm, I'm not that kind of in- inclusion and equity leader. I want to help you and I want, I want to be in the trenches with you and roll up my sleeves with you. But it is also your responsibility because we're all responsible for the places and spaces where we live and where we work. And at the end of the day, in a business, we're also all responsible for the growth and the health of that business. I often tell people, everyone always wants to do a program for women or a program for people of color. There's nothing wrong with women. There's nothing wrong with people of color. It's not their work. So how do we change the conversation so that people can understand and, and not from a reprimanding place, but listen, like, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without your help. If you're the leader of the largest organization in our in our ecosystem or you run the biggest account, you have power, you have a voice, people listen to you, people follow you. If people follow you, I want to partner with you to do this together. So it's our work. Yeah. Um, kind of a, a calling to lean in of, of allies. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and going beyond the leaning, I'm like, once you lean, I need you then to take a step. I'm just asking for one step. I'm, I'm one step. Because we're all leaning. Like, we all lean. In 2020, if you didn't lean, you probably were, I don't know, (laughs) shamed or you were fired or you self-selected out because it's not what you believed and it's not what you wanted to do. And even if you leaned uncomfortably in silence and in private, most of us leaned. Most of us learned a lot about ourselves and others that maybe were was really hard for us to admit or really was really challenging to work through. And it still is. People have relationships that have been severed with people that are the closest to them, right? Over the past few years, people have been leaning. Now I need you to take a step. Yeah. And then especially with, um, you know, our society becoming even more polarized as we continue. Um, I, I would imagine that, you know, having a stance um, and doing that leaning and doing that work would become even more important as we move mm-hmm. forward. Yes, absolutely. And in some spaces, and thankfully not at IPG, in some spaces, scary. It's scarier right now for for people to lean and to take steps. And I think that has to be an incredibly difficult position to be in. I think cancel culture gave us a glimpse into that. And now um, with what some call a fatigue and just an outright, I think, a blatant attack on equity and even words like diversity or inclusion, whether we're, you know, it's a banning of books or it is legal action against the right sizing of systems of inequity. People are, what I'm afraid of most is that people will be afraid of taking this step because then um, they'll get in trouble for, for doing so. Um, and whether that's by your organization or that's a legal act, whatever that looks like, people are now worried about, well, now we don't know what to do because can can what what looks right and obvious seems like it's not right. And so that's very confusing to people. And instead of then taking action, people are stuck because they don't know what to do. And then it falls back on the the inclusion leader or the talent leader to then get permission again to do something. So I can't get permission in isolation. That's why it requires the other 80%, right, to do that with me 
Um, because if we're all going to take a step, we all need to be taking the steps, even if we're scared, but one person isn't, you know, it's hard to do by yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and on that note, we all have homework. (laughs) We do. We all have homework. Um, but Channing, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast with us today. You beacon of light. You've done so much. Ah, thank you. I really appreciate that. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday Podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. 